Thank you, thank you. It is a joy, it really is a delight to be back with you. Uh, it's been about 18 months, I think. I, could, I do need to check my notes. I live in Arkansas, by the way, so coming up here, and I do drive everywhere, uh, so I, it's, it's not just a little hop and a skip up the road. Uh, so I try to make it. Matthew is very uh, lenient with me as I report back to, to you guys. Uh, he said, oh, every, every 18 months will work really well. Well, this, the story I need to tell, I'll tell it maybe a little bit as we proceed through the PowerPoint, is there's another reason for me coming up here on the 2nd of July, um, and uh, I, I'll explain that in a moment. But I have already been on the road since last Saturday. Uh, I picked my wife up from, she flew up just uh, one way, and she's driving back with me uh, through the next week. Uh, we're maybe going to take at least two days, maybe two and a half days, to drive the 25 hours, uh, I think it is, back to northwest Arkansas. Um, but my delight in all of this is just to, to travel the country to burden the church for Jewish mission uh, and just to see friends that I'm building up year on year. Um, I was in the regular pastorate for 18 years in my former life, uh, but I've been doing this almost almost 20 years now. Uh, and it just, it, it is a joy just to see the church wide, uh, warts and all, but to see uh, the church. Uh, and so it is a privilege to be with you and to thank you in person for your support and your prayers for what we do um, and to be accountable to you. Um, and really, the, I, I think, and I'll tell a little bit even as we proceed, my ecclesiology is very much that mission is something that we're all in, and it's not something that experts do and the church pays for it. Um, that's my Presbyterian theology and ecclesiology, uh, and therefore I, I do feel a, an obligation to visit the churches that are with us, that, that uh, join with us in prayer and, and funding, uh, because we are part of the church we're not an uh, uh, we're not an, an independent uh, operation, and uh, so this is part of my accountability to local churches. Uh, if you have any questions, if you have difficult questions, aim them at me and any other missionary that comes your way. Give them a hard time, because it's easy for missionaries to come into churches with strange-sounding accents. And uh, everybody thinks, oh, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. And they might not be doing the job very well. Um, so I think, and again, I was a pastor, so I've seen both sides of it. Um, we need to be held accountable to those churches that are supporting and praying for us. Anyway, enough of that. Thank you for your support. Um, what I want to do in uh, the, we finish at 1030? Is that right? Yeah. Plenty of time. I'd like to finish early and have a little bit of Q&A as well. If we can, we'll see how that proceeds. Um, so what I want to do in this is really to present what we're doing, where we're doing it, um, mostly locally, but also I want to take us on a, a little trip across to the land of Israel um, and uh, just a dear brother over there uh, uh, and the work that he is doing. He visited us in Arkansas a few months ago and uh, it was a joy to, to see him. But So we're going to have a little bit of CWI North America and then a little bit in Israel as well. As you see from the uh, text, we are simply um, a gospel ministry to the Jewish people. 
and we equip and challenge the church. We have that kind of twofold ministry. We're looking one way at the church, we're looking another way at the Jewish people and, and bringing the two together. So we will engage in frontline Jewish evangelism uh, and uh, I'll tell a little bit about that. But part of what I'm doing today is the equipping and challenging and even resourcing the church in its own uh, Jewish evangelism. This all began, as you can see from the, the poster, in 1842. This ministry began in 1842, and it was a Scottish burden. I'm, I'm tempted to suggest it was a Scottish theological burden, uh, really arising out of the Westminster uh, Assembly of Divines. And in those documents, there was a strong desire for Jewish redemption. Um, we have a number of free booklets. This one dates back to the 1600s. I, I want to make the point that Jewish mission is not something that started in the 1970s with Jews for Jesus. You know, I, I, I have, we have a relationship with Jews for Jesus, and, and I meet uh, the Jews for Jesus guys occasionally. Um, but sometimes we think that, well, yeah, the, the heady days of the Jesus movement and Jews for Jesus, 1970s, 1980s, et cetera, et cetera. No, Jewish mission started in, in really in the first century uh, as actually Jews for Jesus have a little tract, um, you know, Jews for Jesus established um, uh, AD 30 or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were Jews for Jesus in AD 30. Um, but in the Reformed world, I want us to see in the, as uh, the Reformation really stirred afresh the heart for Jewish mission. Um, the Roman Catholic Church, and these are, this is largely a sweeping statement, so, you know, I, I don't want to, people say, well, don't, you didn't say that, but the, the, the Roman Catholic Church largely was the replacement church for Israel. They had a replacement priestcraft, they had a replacement sacrifice. And so there was no need for the Jewish people. They were done for. God was finished with them. And we see that even in, in history with the um, expulsion of the Jews from various European lands. We see it uh, even in the Crusades um, and, and, and even in the Orthodox Church, Russia, Eastern Orthodox, the pogroms. There was a sense in which God's finished with the Jewish people. Reformed theology says no from the 1600s and onwards. And so our ministry began out of that Reformed theology. Um, on the right, I, I can't remember whether I've showed you the image before, but that's Robert Murray McShane's Bible, which I, and, and that's uh, McShane on the top left. And, and I was privileged to, to uh, meet a, a gentleman in Scotland some years ago that uh, owns and actually providentially received this Bible dated 1843. Um, and when I was handling it, I was flicking over, and I've never washed my hands since, you know. I said, <laughs> you, you can't say that in COVID years, okay. Um, but I was flicking over, seeing little notes, and, and he underlined, God is able to graft them in again. And I really felt I was touching history uh, that uh, McShane and, and the booklet on McShane, I uh, haven't got them all up here, but one of the booklets is from McShane, please take it, uh, is, is there his sermon on our duty to Israel. Uh, he believed that, and he prayed the opening prayer at our first ever meeting in 1842. 
And so that burden became a mission, became a ministry uh, in London in 1842. Um, Again, I was over in the UK five, four, four to five years ago, and I was able to just glance at some of these historical documents. Uh, one of them, you know, the reports date from 1843. And so I, I literally opened the book and started to take photos of every page. So I think it was, a, like I can't remember, eight to 10 pages of the very first report. And I brought the photos home, and my good wife typed them all up for me. So yeah. I, uh, she gets kudos for that. But I have uh, loved to read the first report where they, with their theological burden, desired an interdenominational ministry uh, that would be an outlet and rallying point. And I, I really like that phrase because it means it's, it's a rallying point for Christians, for churches, uh, and indeed an outlet for ministry. And that's what we continue to be, and very much as I, as I saw the report and saw that there were a board of 24 pastors, I can't imagine how long those committee meetings went on for. When you get 24 pastors together, it, yeah. It, I have five on my board, uh, and uh, our meetings are, are long enough. But I think what I wanted even to say from that is this was a thoroughly church-based, church-grounded, church-accountable ministry as 24 pastors were overseeing, but it was to be an interdenominational. So it was pulling churches together, Christians together, uh, and uh, enabling that uh, corporate outreach to Jewish London, as it was then. A couple of things that really began uh, the work, uh, but also carries with it dangers. And I had a really good conversation with the church history professor at the seminary in Pittsburgh, the Reformed Presbyterian Seminary, and he was talking about the Jewish mission, the uh, Cary mission, the Baptist mission, other missionaries, missions that were beginning in the 19th century. And there was the real thrill and the engagement and the Puritan hope to reach the lost. And actually, we're going to be uh, considering that as, uh, in, in the sermon this morning as well. But part of the danger was that these ministries were going off in an independent manner. Now, the, the beginnings of our ministry was this mission of discovery in 1839, a few years just previous, and the Church of Scotland sent four of its finest pastors to the Holy Land. And that really was what birthed what we're doing. And again, you see that church-based, that church sending of even its pastors. Um, and I think that should be the continued model. And that's why, again, I was saying earlier, I believe strongly in this accountability between those engaged in the rallying of mission to the Jews uh, and the local churches. Um, William Carey, you might remember the story. Uh, he went to the Baptist uh, Council, and uh, he wanted to, to, to go forth and reach the pagan, reach the lost. And the, the Baptist Council simply said to him, young man, sit down. If God means to reach the heathen, he will do it without you or me. And William Carey said, no, no, no. He will do it through you and me. And he went off and, and did his thing um, very much independently of the church. And so the point that I make, there are times when the church is dragging its feet for that kind of 
go-getter approach and even independent approach, but I would make the point that it is only in extreme times if the church sees no need to do it. The dilemma and the dangers of parachurch organizations can uh, be seen just in the way in which we look upon our missionaries. Is mission something outsourced? In other words, do you just fund it, church? Um, I am not a handyman by any means, and my wife is here to testify to that. Uh, if we have anything wrong in our home, uh, she'll say to me, don't touch it. <laughs> I know my limits, and so she has to get someone in. Actually, and those of you who know me, and I probably should have shared this, I'm originally from Northern Ireland. I've lived here 11 years. We are now proud citizens, uh, but my accent will probably give away a little bit of, of that background. But in Northern Ireland, we would have a phrase. Uh, so if you needed a job done, a little handyman job done, Wendy would say, we, we need a wee man for that. We need a wee man for that. We, we, and that's regularly, uh, maybe it's because I can't do anything, but she says, we need a wee man to do that. Now, what that means is it doesn't mean we need this, this kind of little midget. No. We need a man for a wee job is really what it means. But in, in Northern Ireland, we simply, we, well, we need a wee man for that. So if there's a job needs done, you outsource it. You get contractors or whatever it might be if it's a larger job. But if it's a small job, you just need to pay somebody to do it. Is that mission? No. Mission must be church-based. We will lead by example. The top photo is actually where I was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this past week in Pittsburgh. Um, it's uh, Mitch Tepper is the, the guy with the sunglasses and the black T-shirt and the Hebrew. Uh, that's my uh, colleague, Mitch Tepper, who's a Jewish believer, uh, and he lives in Pittsburgh or North Pittsburgh, and he is on that street corner at least three times a week. Uh, I'm told if you Google Maps it, map it, uh, you'll actually even see him on Google Maps. That shows how often he's there. Um, but these are a team of volunteers from the Pittsburgh Seminary. And so again, the point that I'm making is we will lead by example. We will be the outlet and rallying point but mission is the church's mission. It's not, again, outsourced uh, to the experts. And so the solution that I feel is that mission is something that we must bring before the church and mobilize the church unto. So total mission is from the church, through the church, and to the church. And what I want to do is to explain this and illustrate this by way of my daughter, my youngest daughter, who literally got married a month ago, uh, and now we are total empty nesters. Boo-hoo, tears, floods. Um, but my daughter uh, is an opera singer. She graduated from Maryland Opera Studio um, in COVID year of all times. Nothing happening in the opera world. Uh, long story short, she worked for a year, uh, then she tried to begin her craft again, auditioned for various things, uh, and one of the auditions was for Carmen. And so last summer, she played Carmen at Brevard uh, Opera and uh, was in some ways the highlight. Uh, she had done Brevard before in, in, in a chorus line uh, capacity. This time she got the lead role, 
And it was thrilling to see that. But she also had auditioned for something else. And so literally a matter of a few weeks after Carmen, she was doing this. Because she auditioned for the US Army Field Band Chorus. Um, and that's why I'm up here in Boston, because they're singing on the 4th of July with the Boston Pops. And so when I heard she was doing that, I then uh, emailed Matthew, and I said, hey, Matthew, <laughs> does the 2nd of July work for you? It would really work for me, you know. So anyway, she did this last summer. She had, she's a singer. But hey, if you're in the US Army Field Band Chorus, you don't get a pass on boot camp. You've got to do basic training. And so she, that chemical mask where you go into the room and take off your mask, or I can't remember if it's 30 seconds or whatever, and they all come out puking and yeah, it's gross. Um, but uh, she had to go through all of that. And the point that I'm making is that she's a singer, but she's a soldier. And I know in some ways uh, she's uh, got an easy gig, and we, we repeatedly tell her that. Like, I, I was in another church some months ago, and uh, a dear brother simply said, oh, your, your daughter's staff sergeant. Wow. Uh, he says, my son got staff sergeant from jumping out of helicopters in Iraq. And uh, I said, yeah, my daughter got staff sergeant for singing. <laughs> anyway, I better not. I better not rubbish her. <laughs> she's going to sing on the fourth, God willing. Um, she's a singer, but she's a soldier. Point to make. We are servants of Christ, but we don't get a pass on the soldiering. We are soldiers of Christ. Because mission is total mission. You don't outsource it. You don't say, hey, you're the expert. We'll pay you, and you go and do it, Stephen and Mitch and the others. It's from the church, through the church, to the church. That's what a parachurch organization ought to be. So the solution to the dangers is for us to come here to be accountable, but also to resource to give advice. I was with a pastor on Friday uh, evening in New Jersey. In, in New Jersey. Um, he is right, Jewish people all around him, Yonkers, Teaneck, it's all around him there. He, he's, uh, Ridgefield is, is where he is. And he actually goes in with tracks. I, I ended up leaving some tracks with him. I think I've got some tracks on the table. If you've got Jewish friends, please take the tracks and resources that are there. There are Bibles there, New Testaments. We were on the street just last week in Pittsburgh, and this rabbi came over to us. And sometimes they can give us a really hard time, but this one was really very amenable and very, uh, we, had, we had a good conversation. Um, and we ended up giving him a Hebrew, Will you, would you read a New Testament, Hebrew New Testament? And he said, sure. And so pray for that 30-something rabbi who has a Hebrew New Testament. Um, and the, the, the Bibles that we have are kind of like Gideon Bibles in the sense that at the front half a dozen pages or whatever have little uh, explanations. It's not just the, the bare scriptures. It's, it's some notes and some explanations. And so in these, 
it will share the, it will speak of man's sin and the need of a savior and the Messiah being the savior. So it's, it's very much geared towards sharing with a Jewish person. And in fact, the, there, there's another section which will show the prophecies of the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Jesus. And so again, if you've got a Jewish friend and you'd like to please take the Bible and, and pass it on, that's part of our work to resource the church in its own ministry. And so the left side of the table are all the freebies. The right side, throw a few dollars in for, for the books. Um, I'm tempted to say if you have got Scots-Irish blood in you, I'll see you all on the left side, you know, at the free <laughs> stuff. Um, but <laughs> please, we resource you. We, we, we lead by example um, with books and tracts and, and, and those kinds of things. My board, uh, I need to update that. That's just grabbed from a website. Uh, uh, it has changed slightly. But simply to say that my board is full of pastors uh, and uh, at least elders. In other words, the trust of CWI North America in the hands of churchmen like the original is strongly accountable. Uh, I do have some very weighty men on my advisory board for which I'm thrilled. Um, I don't ask anything of them, simply just give, me, give us an endorsement and they've been very willing to do that and, and that delights me because Jewish mission in the US is a, is a zoo, as you might say, it's, it's a mess. Um, and so if we can say we've got so and so and so and so, that cuts through the clutter. It's not name drumming, it's simply cutting through the clutter and the mess of Jewish mission. Uh, but I'm thrilled with the board that we have, both the working board uh, and the endorsements that we have received. Um, we want to resource the church. As I say, I don't have that book on, on the table, but I recommend that one if you have a Jewish friend as well, uh, because most Jewish people will think of Christianity as a Gentile religion. And Edith Schaefer, wife of uh, Francis Schaefer, very helpfully and, and, and in, in narrative form. It's not a theological tome, it's more narrative. Um, and uh, it just paints that picture that Christianity is Jewish, and it's a useful one to pass on as well. That's a tract we have on Isaiah 53. We had one of the helpers on the streets last week, at, uh, from originally from China, um, and he has been over in the US, I think, for about 20 years. And he recently uh, started going to RPTS. He's, he's taking some classes at RPTS seminary. And uh, he joined us on the streets. Well, he had a super conversation with Isaiah, a gentleman called Isaiah. And so we had this tract, and he was able to say, well, did, have you read Isaiah 53? And actually, Isaiah reads the scriptures in the synagogue. But he had never read Isaiah 53. And I told our, our friend Frank, uh, you know, they don't read Isaiah 53 in the synagogue. They actually stopped the synagogue readings at 52. <laughs> Wonder why. So this track shows uh, Isaiah 53 and also shows that a number of rabbis believed that Isaiah 53 was messianic. In other words, it speaks of the Messiah. A lot of modern Jews today and rabbis today will say, oh, Isaiah 53, if it speaks about anything, it's about the Jewish people. Because who has suffered like the Jewish people? So Isaiah 50, it's not about a Messiah, it's about the Jewish people. No, 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 no. And even with some quotes from rabbis of, of centuries ago, 
uh, we are showing that the rabbinic mind on Isaiah 53 was that it was about a Messiah, and we say, well, his name is Jesus. Um, so there are tracts there on that. Um, moving a little historically, um, the things that we have done over the centuries, over the, the decades, have been wide and various. And, and I really like that. I, I don't think we should have a cookie-cutter method to, to minister. When I was in Northern Ireland, there were 100 Jews and one synagogue in Belfast. Uh, I never got the opportunity to go to the street corners and speak and, and, and give out tracts as I've done in Squirrel Hill. But you guys have six million Jewish people on our streets, on our shores. We have 42% of the world's Jewish population living in America. And so, uh, as I look at the difference of my ministry in Northern Ireland uh, compared to the ministry here, well, now we need to think things through. How are we going to do this? So again, uh, back in times past, we had a medical ministry in Haifa in the 1920s. Uh, we had orphanages in London in the similar 1920s, 30s. You don't really do those things in the, the modern era. So times bring the changes. That medical ministry developed into a bookshop in Haifa. It developed into book publishing uh, in central Israel. Uh, and I'll come to that in a little moment. But we've had mission stations, conferences, street evangelism, door-to-door, -door, mercy ministry, a ton of different things in which to bring the gospel to our Jewish neighbors. Um, and again, as we look at this scene in the U.S. of six million Jewish people, we need to think through how do we do this? And even how do we do this from a Reformed perspective? Uh, and I believe very strongly in that church-based uh, or we can lead by example, we can resource, we can instruct, we can help, and we will do so, and we will travel 24 hours drive to do so. But we will do that so that you do the mission. We don't outsource it. Internationally, uh, it has now been known as IMJP. The name was changed a couple of years ago to the International Mission to Jewish People. We have a, a partner relationship with IMJP, um, so in some ways they're buddies, but they, they, they run their own uh, thing. Um, but in that photo, I was there four or five years ago, just a little, little pre-COVID. Um, but we've guys there from Israel, from uh, France, from Hungary, from uh, Amsterdam, um, and elsewhere, and from Brooklyn, yeah. Um, Mitch, top left, or near to the top left, uh, He's a Brooklyn Jew born anew, as I often call him. Uh, he, he's, he speaks Brooklynese and is able to say coffee the way it's supposed to say coffee. You know, so he's, he's able to speak. And so when he's speaking to his Jewish friends, you know, if, I, if I speak to them, they know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Gentile uh, import, but he can speak. And uh, it's funny, last week we had three Jewish believers all engage with this rabbi, and it was lovely just to see the three Jewish guys and, uh, and the one, the Jewish believers and the one rabbi interacting in that way. Um, but bringing it closer to home, this is, this is the state of the map, as it were. This is uh, U.S. Jewish uh, communities. And uh, you can see Northeast, this is where, this is where it's happening. Two million in New York City, two million of the 20 million greater New York City, two million are Jewish. 
um, and then all around the, the whole of the Northeast. And then the Snowbirds in South Florida, the second largest Jewish community, 660,000 Jewish people down in South Florida. Um, and as Mitch uh, tells me, because Mitch's dad is Jewish, obviously Mitch's dad is an atheist Jew, uh, 98 years of age and believes in nothing. Um, and Mitch has been praying and we are praying for Mitch and his dad. Um, but Mitch simply says, all the Jews go from the Northeast and they go down to Florida to die, which is true and also very, very sad. Um, but that's the, the lie of the land. And what I would simply say is that every major city in the U.S. has a Jewish community. And therefore, church, where we are, what are we doing uh, if mission is from the church, through the church, to the church? So our ministry is preaching and praying the Puritan hope. Um, I'll be doing that. In fact, this morning, my subtitle of the sermon is the Puritan hope. Uh, we're also mobilizing and equipping the church. One of the things that we did and pulled together, particularly in COVID year, was to pull some of the lectures that I'd given at the seminary and also some sermons and develop it into a 20-sermon lecture course uh, called the AC course, the Awakening the Conscience course. Uh, and so if you're interested, please look at our website, all of those 20, both in video form and in full text form, uh, is, is there, or simply take the little uh, sheet um, and that's part of our teaching and equipping, and then also, as we said, engaging in nationwide evangelism, leading by example, as it were. Uh, top left, that's a PCA church, by the way. Um, I've never been in a church like it, but I was thrilled to get the opportunity. Uh, it is Spanish River PCA in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, and why was I thrilled to get there? Simply because I wanted to be on a big stage? No, uh, I wanted people to do my makeup. And I, I really did think people were gonna come and do my makeup. In the, in, the, in the dressing room, it was kind of lights around the mirrors and all M&Ms over here. And, yeah. um, but the reason I was thrilled to do that was Boca Raton is home to 100,000 Jewish people. And here is Spanish River PCA Church right in the heart of the Jewish community in South Florida. And uh, I preached, um, and one of the elders came to me afterwards and said, you know, I've been here 30 years, and that's the first time I've heard a sermon on intentional Jewish evangelism. And I was both encouraged and saddened. Um, but we're, we're there, Mitch goes down to South Florida four times a year, and he has been engaging in some small groups in that church as well. We want to get alongside that church and a ton of other churches in Jewish areas. Um, this is the flyer, I think, for last year's Pittsburgh outreach. I haven't updated my, my PowerPoint yet, but uh, we did Pittsburgh uh, on the streets for three days. In January, we did South Florida. In April, Mitch went over to Cleveland with a group from a Cleveland PCA church. Um, and we're hoping in the, the fall, perhaps, to do New York and Denver uh, as we seek to just bring church and volunteers together uh, to get out onto the streets and seek uh, just to sow seeds by way of tracts. Ultimately, friendship evangelism, long-term relationships are ultimately the best, but we need church at least to go across that cultural divide and get into Jewish areas and, and meet with our Jewish friends. 
so this is again a, an image of the street corner. Um, Mitch has an intern called Thelma. It's the dog, by the way. Uh, and Thelma is a beagador. That's a beautiful combination, a beagle Labrador. And uh, sweet, sweet personality. But I've seen so often Orthodox Jews walking by, and they usually just walk right past you, but they see the dog, and oh, that's a, that's a lovely dog. And, and, and so Mitch starts a conversation. Yeah, it's a great inn that he will have there, uh, having our intern Thelma uh, on the streets with us. Uh, so there's some of the things that we are planning for the summer, as I've already said, uh, and beyond uh, in the fall. Um, part of my work, again, I've been a preacher for 35 years plus. Um, I get into the seminaries. If we can infect the seminaries, um, then we can infect the pastors who will go on into their ministries. I, I engage in pulpit ministry personal ministry. In other words, a lot of people will phone me and email me. I have this Jewish friend. How do I, how do I start a conversation? Or uh, I have this Jewish doctor or Jewish dentist or Jewish lawyer. Uh, how do I begin a conversation with them? And I'll seek to help in some way uh, so that the church does the mission, as I said. So we, we're also engaging in a social media presence. Uh, we have podcasts and blogs. Uh, please check that out online if you're so inclined. Uh, but uh, again, pray for us in these variety of ministries uh, in both pulpit and in seminary. Um, moving across just again, our time is, is fast going, but across to Israel, uh, my colleague David Sadak, he studied at Westminster Seminary Escondido, California, 2003 to 2006, and then he went back to his homeland. He's a Jewish believer, he's an Israeli, he's a military guy, he's a major in the Israeli army, um, but he's now the pastor of Grace and Truth Reformed Baptist Congregation uh, just south of Tel Aviv. And uh, he also uh, gets into big company with uh, Paul Washer and John MacArthur. There, I don't have any photos like that to show you. I'm sorry. But uh, David gets there. Uh, but all that to say, David is a dear friend. Uh, he was with us in Arkansas just uh, last fall and uh, had a wonderful visit at our home and in our church. Um, moving on to some of the things that he does in Israel, this is a group of Holocaust survivors and their families. Uh, they will host meals for these uh, Holocaust survivors and their families, and then there will be singing and there will be preaching, unashamedly preaching Christ uh, to the Holocaust survivors. Uh, these are a couple of David's uh, kids uh, giving out meals as well to needy uh, folks in the land of Israel. But the, one of the major things that David engages in is Hagathan publishing. And it's really interesting because our, our Haifa work in the 1920s, uh, the medical work developed into a bookshop which was on Hagathan Street, Haifa. Hagathan simply means the vine. And so that name kind of followed through into our work uh, in publishing, which began in the mid-70s. So we've been publishing, translating and publishing books in Israel since the 70s, uh, publishing some of the, the best books. I have a few examples to show you. Uh, it's really fun to try and read. I could test, if Matthew was here, I could test his Hebrew, but it's fun to, uh, to read the Hebrew and, and, and read Sinclair Ferguson. 
in Hebrew, or Matthew Henry, <laughs> um, C.S. Lewis. These are amazing work, first time ever in modern Hebrew, and we're publishing um, John Bunyan, The Holy War, um, children's Bibles, excellent books in modern Hebrew. I can't, uh, again, show you them all, but this is the part of our work, part of our varied work of equipping the church in Israel. Um, CDBI North America recently uh, gave some funds to Hagef and, uh, for the publication of R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God in modern Hebrew for the first time ever. Think of the impact that those kind of books can have upon the Jewish believing community in the land of Israel. There are about 30,000 believers in Israel among seven or eight million Jews. Um, in 1948, there were 12 believers. In 1968, there were 50 believers. In 1998, there were 5,000 believers. And today, there are reckoned to be 30,000 Jewish believers, so that the numbers are increasing exponentially. Uh, so it's a delight to see our brothers and sisters in Christ who are Jewish, who are Israeli, and if we can in some way help them to grow and that their churches may grow in, in substance with good publishing and good literature. So again, some of the books as I've shown them to you. Um, that one down the bottom is actually given to any uh, young soldier uh, from believing families, that's Spurgeon's checkbook at the Bank of Faith, um, and a very nice uh, copy of that is given to the, the military. Of course, the Jewish people have got to do their military service, uh, two years for the girls, three years for the guys, uh, so they all have to go into the military service. And it's really interesting and helpful uh, as a witness when Jewish believers stand shoulder to shoulder against the terrorism uh, with Jewish unbelievers. Because historically, and again, the, the Jewish people sometimes throw this against us, historically sometimes the church has not stood with Israel. But now in the land they're seeing Messianic Jews or Jewish believers standing shoulder to shoulder with Jewish unbelievers or Jewish, regular Jewish people. And that is a tremendous witness in, in the military. So we've talked about the dangers, the dilemma of the parachurch, the safeguards, the solution, the mission, and the ministries. Um, if mission is from the church, through the church, and unto the church, do, do you need me at all? <laughs> uh, glad you asked. Um, so my point is that in extremity, think of William Carey, engaged in intentional activity. But in reality, I don't want to be here. Um, I'm 62. I think there's a few years left in me yet, but what do we want? What do I want? What do I want to pass on? I want this Romans 9 through 11 burden, which I'll preach more on in, in the sermon later. I want it taught because it's reformed. I want it preached because it's biblical. And I want it prayerfully engaged in by you guys as we are a rallying point and, a, and an outlet. And I want you not to outsource this mission, but to connect with your Jewish neighbor, as we've said, connecting with the Cohens by fearless individual congregants. Because that total mission, 
will maybe, maybe make me out of a job. It was an outlet and rallying point in 1842. It's an outlet and rallying point in 2023. Those are the websites, email, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, um, for those so inclined in those areas. And in fact, I think my uh, media guy is working on the Twitter verse as well, so uh, watch this space. We have about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, if you have any questions, I'd love to answer. So, unless I've answered them all already. Really, as, as I said earlier, I don't think there's any cookie-cutter method. Um, I don't see that in evangelism anyway. The message is the same. Please don't think that we bring a different message to the Jewish people. The message is the same. Uh, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Uh, Jewish people need Jesus. Jewish people need the Christ, their Christ, their Messiah. Um, and uh, we don't change that message. We may... Um, in any cross-cultural ministry, you may um, engage uh, in a culturally sensitive way. So, for example, uh, we may talk about the Hebrew Scriptures rather than the Old Testament. Um, because if you talk about the Old Testament, they might say, well, we don't have an Old Testament. Do you want to chip in? Right, well, I'll, I'll come to that. Yeah, good. Right. Hold that thought. I want to I answer as many as possible. Um, I would simply say with, with Jewish people, there are 57 varieties. Um, and as is often said, if you get two Jews together, you get three opinions. So you, literally, you have uh, all kinds of variety. So don't assume anything if you're engaging. Ask the questions and find out where they are in the whole spectrum. So you will have, largely, they will fall into four categories. Um, at least that's kind of where I, where I place it. There is the atheist who basically sees God is dead because God went AWOL at the Holocaust. In fact, a group of rabbis put God on trial after the Holocaust, and they find him AWOL. Um, so Jewish atheists will simply say, God is dead. God didn't look out for us. We got to look out for ourselves. And they do that very well. So there's the atheist, and then there's the agnostic. Uh, they kind of hedge their bets a little bit. I read a book on Einstein not so long ago, and uh, he was talking with his uncle. And uh, he said, uh, uncle, why do you go to synagogue when you really, you're, you're, you're an atheist, essentially? And his uncle said to uh, Albert Einstein, well, you never know. <laughs> you never know. So there's the agnostic that ha that's in that category. And I would say about 80% of Jewish people are probably in the atheist agnostic uh, category. Then you get the observant, who are kind of go to church, not go to synagogue. You know, they, they, they're, they're kind of regular-ish. They will keep uh, their Jewishness is very dear to them. Um, they may keep a kosher household, um, or they may simply be pretty strong in attending synagogue week by week by week. And then you get the ultra-Orthodox, who have the distinctive dress and, and hair, um, and they will keep a kosher household. They will uh, 
just live by the rules. Um, and they really try to separate themselves from or ordinary life, American life. They don't want to be assimilated. So again, in certain parts of New York, you'll find very strong streets, literally, of, of the Orthodox. Um, we engaged in, as I said, we had a, an Orthodox guy engage us last, just last week. Uh, very, very civil conversation. But Mitch and I were down in Florida in January, and we engaged in an Orthodox guy there, and uh, that was not a good story. Uh, he got angry. Um, with the Orthodox, they, they have a different view of the scriptures. In other words, um, we think of this as inspired. They, um, if we take them to Isaiah, they will say, well, what did Moses say? Because they have a higher view of the first five books than the prophets. They might believe in the prophets, obviously, but what did Moses say? And so in a situation like that, often we will take them to Leviticus and say, well, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And, um, well, this guy got angry about that. Oh, you don't know, how, you don't re read Hebrew. You don't understand Hebrew. Uh, I've done one year of Hebrew. My Hebrew is rusty. I'll grant him that. But uh, he was just trying to say, well, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he really started to get hot and heavy. Um, and what happened was we were on the boardwalk in Hollywood, Florida. The beach was just literally in front of us. And people were walking by, but they were starting to look uh, at what could become kind of a, a really heated argument. And I had to, I walked away and I ultimately, and Mitch, he was still going, he's the Jewish guy, you do it, of course. But um, I said, Mitch, come on, you, you, we got to leave this one. So there may be times when you just got to walk away. Um, so a whole wide variety of different beliefs and you just got to see where they pitch in at and then take it from there. Um, what I would say is with, with atheists, first of all, you got to prove the existence of God. Um, and, and my usual tactic is simply to say, you know, you shouldn't be here. You should have been wiped out long ago. The Aztecs, the Mongols, the, all these great civilizations, they're not here. You were here? Why? The fact that Jewish people are here, God is. Do you not see that? Your history is a miracle. Do you know anything of your history? Can I tell you of the history of how you actually came to New York? That's another story, and it's actually one of them uh, is in uh, my AC course. I have a lecture just on that. If I can find it, it's called Expulsion and Expansion. Uh, it's number four in the list. If you want to know the reason why we have six million Jewish people here, go have a listen to that. I haven't time to, to take it all, but it's stunning. The providence of God in bringing the Jewish community here. So telling them their own history is, is a useful way of, of just beginning a conversation. Doing it reverently, doing it graciously. Um, there is an offense of the cross. They will be offended. Uh, there is an offense of saying Jesus is the only way. But we don't need to be more offensive than all of the biblical offenses that are already there. So I would simply say, just ask a question, find out where they are, and then try to lead them on from that. Okay, I've taken so much time over that, but that's, that's really, it's an important question for us as we all engage in this. Your questions there, and then a third one, yeah. I have. Mitch is, he lives, he lives in Butler, North Pittsburgh. Uh, so he does that regularly uh, through the, the, the years, through the weeks. Um, I go once a year. Uh, well, Squirrel Hill, um, it's, it's where we 
actually hired, I, I started to do lectures at the seminary and one of the students uh, was saying amen to everything I said. And I discovered later it was Mitch Tepper, Jewish believer, who went to seminary in his late 50s, as you do. Um, and uh, he and I got connected and eventually he became our, our missionary on the streets of Pittsburgh. We actually hired him literally three weeks before the Pittsburgh shooting. Um, 11 Jewish people were shot dead in the synagogue um, at, a, uh, at, a, at a circumcision uh, that they were having one Saturday morning. And this guy came in and shot up and simply said, all Jews must die. Um, and we had hired Mitch literally three weeks before that in Pittsburgh. I had often wondered, Lord, can you give me a missionary for South Florida or give me a missionary for New York? And he, and he gave me a missionary for Pittsburgh. And I thought, mm -hmm. why, Lord? And then three weeks later, the synagogue shooting happened, and I knew, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's there regularly. Um, he's, um, we have a shalom board, uh, um, which just says shalom across the top, and we ask people uh, a question, and we, uh, on our witness, we were using these, um, the two tracks, please, again, do take them, and this little card, and it's simply called the Peacemaker, and we asked them the question, who or what do you think brings peace? Shalom. And uh, they may uh, say, well, everybody should get along, or music, or art, or the brotherhood of man, or, or uh, as it was in 2020, get rid of Donald Trump. Yeah, that was the, uh, that was the uh, answer most times in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh then. Um, but again, trying to simply engage, and then Mitch will simply say to them, can I tell you what brought peace to my heart 40 years ago, my Jewish heart? And he gives his, his testimony. Uh, so that's kind of what, what we do in Pittsburgh or anywhere else, just simply trying to make a, uh, an inn. The dog is a great help in getting an inn uh, in there. But whatever way you can, make the inn. Uh, sorry, your, your question. Out of your comfort zone. I was on the streets there. Put me in a pulpit any day of the week, but put me on the street corner of Squirrel Hill. I'm out of my comfort zone, so I I, I totally get it. Two things. One, you do need to be intentional. Um, I had an elder's wife that said to me, I've got a high school, Jewish high school friend from 30, 40 years ago. We still keep in contact. We promised each other we would never talk about religion or politics, kind of the thing you're saying. And I said, well, don't talk politics, but you do need to talk about Jesus. We need to have an intentionality. And we need to have an intentionality because, quite frankly, they were intentional towards us. And I often tell the story that I had an interaction with a rabbi. It was a church meeting. They were Skyping a rabbi in Israel. And my interaction was simply, and it, it really forms the first sermon of this series, which is on Psalm 67. And I, I simply said 
uh, to the rabbi or ask the question, in the light of Psalm 67, we read Psalm 67 to the rabbi. I said, in the light of Psalm 67, you guys were praying for my Scots-Irish ancestors 3,000 years ago. Um, we read the passage, you know, that the nations would know the God of Israel and his salvation. And in fact, that word, his salvation, has the root of Yeshua, Jesus. Interesting. That the nations would know the God of Israel and his salvation. And I said, you guys were praying for us 3,000 years ago. And, and he was making the point, you see, that Christians should stand with Israel, visit Israel, blah, 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 but leave us alone, he said. We knew what he meant by that. And I said, well, you didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us alone. And praise God, you didn't. Praise God, Jewish guys went across oceans and, nation, and lands with this book. This book is Jewish. The man is Jewish. The message is Jewish. The first missionaries were Jewish. And we are sitting here because they didn't leave us alone. And so my point was, I won't leave you alone. And we need that intentionality to come back in our churches. And I, I, I may have told this story before, but I remember at the evening meeting in that church, I said, I really wish I'd said this to the rabbi, because you always think after the event, I wish I'd said this. I wish I'd put on my Liam Neeson voice and said, I will find you, <laughs> and I will tell you about Jesus. Intentionality. We need it. And it's not easy. It's, it's not easy for this preacher of 30-plus years. It's not easy, but we need to do it because they did it for us. How are we for time? Yeah, two more minutes. Any more, one more question? One more, yeah. No, I personally haven't. I, I don't think Mitch has either. It's, it's difficult. We will, we will take opportunities wherever we get freedom, but we've also got to be careful and cautious. That we, first of all, that we're not breaking any bylaws. Uh, when we were doing some uh, in, in Cleveland, we had, because some places have local bylaws, you can't stand here, you can't stand there. I was really encouraged on Friday night with my uh, Reformed Presbyterian pastor friend uh, that he was already doing evangelism in, in certain park areas, uh, just regular evangelism. I said, we need to do this with Jews, and I gave him a ton of tracts. Um, because it was open, it was, you're, you're, you're allowed to do that. In fact, he, he has a Christian poli uh, policeman that uh, it allows him even to set up in a, I think it's maybe an, an outdoor mall or something like that, and the, the police guy has simply said, you, you can do that, yeah. And, he said, and if anybody gives you any difficulty, just come to me kind of thing. So just be careful. I don't know the like of Brandeis. I don't know if any of these places, if, if you would get an opportunity. Uh, but, hey, if, if, if we are granted an opportunity, we'll see. I, I always say, if I got an opportunity to preach in the Vatican, I'd do it. But I don't, I don't think the Pope's going to call me up, you know. But, um, but where we get opportunity, we take it. But we, we're careful um, that we don't, um, you know, go where... We're, we're not wanted, obviously, in Squirrel Hill. But where we go, where the, it actually would be a legal problem uh, for us. So, although Mitch did go into the synagogue in, in Squirrel Hill... And uh, he, he got thrown out of the, the synagogue <laughs> because he was taking one of these Bibles, which is a New Testament. So he was talking with one of the, uh, talking with a librarian. Librarian, you've got to have books, okay? And Mitch said, well, would you, would you take the, the New Testament? And the librarian said, sure, yeah, yeah. 
But then the door opened and Mr. Rabbi came in. What are you doing? Get out of here. You know? <laughs> and so he was thrown out of the synagogue. And I said, well, Mitch, you're not the first Jewish believer to get thrown out of the synagogue. I think that, I read that somewhere in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, so careful, gracious, be, a, you know, I, I hear you. If, if you get an opening for us, if, if anybody gets an opening in places like that, we'll be right in it uh, as far as we can. I think our time is gone. Um, maybe I'll close in prayer at this point. And then, okay. Our Father, we thank you that in your grace and mercy and even in the strange providence, the Jewish people missed their Messiah so that the gospel could come to the Gentiles. But we thank you that there was a remnant and that the first believers were Jewish and that they brought that message to us at great cost. And so we pray as we look back on that with gratitude that we, with a providential 42% around us here, we pray that we would be intentional, that we would cross over to the other side because you have your ancient people and indeed in your promises, your irrevocable promises, they shall be grafted in again if they do not continue in their unbelief. And so we pray that you would help us to see that this is the work of the evangelical community of North America, as you have placed six million of your ancient people around us. Help us to be wise, to be gracious, but help us to be unflinching in bringing this message of the one Redeemer and the one sacrifice for sin, even the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us now, Lord, to continue to enjoy your presence as we fellowship and as we gather around the word and sacrament. May we be built up in our most holy faith and driven from this place to share this kingdom good news with the lost who are around us. In Jesus' name we pray.